Welcome to the Daily Naked Pair Podcast, brought to you by Rocco Blue, the first ever brand focused on supporting parents with special needs children. Naked Parent Nation is a group of parents with special needs children who are willing to get vulnerable, strip it all down, and take a look at ourselves, our parenting, our family, and our plans to create a life beyond our wildest dreams. Welcome to the Naked Parent Podcast. My name is Chad Radliffe. I'm your host, and I am here with Jennifer Llewellyn today. So grateful to have you. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Chad. Jennifer is a professional with uh, BS in speech and hearing science, a master's level special education teacher, and an experienced ABA therapist with over 10 years of experience. This is something you've dedicated your life to. Uh, for how long, Jennifer? How long have you been in this field? I would say 1993 or four. I first got into it while I was at ASU in the um, speech and hearing science coursework. And I found out about Creative Networks, which is a company that you know receives money to provide those services through DDD to families. So I started as a respite and habilitation provider for families of kids with special needs. Was it something that you kind of stumbled into or was it a direction you knew you wanted to go? Well, when I was attending Scottsdale Community College, shortly after graduating from high school, I met somebody who had a hearing impairment and we became friends and I just learned about how he had worked with a speech and hearing their speech therapist for years, learned how to talk and uh, learned about all of the accommodations that he was receiving to help him be independent. And I just thought that was amazing. And that just really got me wanting to, that was my first experience meeting somebody and some sort of a special need, which was a hearing impairment. So at the time when I was attending Scottsdale Community College, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was just taking the core classes, but then that's when I decided I wanted to pursue a degree and at the time wanted to be a speech therapist. So I enrolled in the classes for that at ASU. Awesome. Once I graduated with that, you had to have a master's to be a speech therapist, and I wasn't ready to get my master's, go into the master's program right away. So that's when I was already with Creative Networks and then decided to continue working one-on-one with kids with autism. Mm -hmm. And I was trained, one of the parents had hired a company called Project Pace out of Oregon to train all of the therapists that worked with their kid using ABA strategies. So that's when I first learned about ABA strategies about a little over 20 years ago. Awesome. That's really cool. Are you a patient person by chance? That's what I'm told. Yes. (laughs) I really just say one, I don't really get, you know, upset and about things or yell or raise my voice. That could be different with my own kids at home. but (laughs) But yes, kids with special needs, it's just a matter of figuring out what they are needing and making sure that they're getting provided what they're needing. Yes, that's awesome. I need your personality type to be, it sort of balances me. The people that are part of my support team, 
are their angels in my book. They're otherworldly. So, and they're very patient, which I noticed because I'm working on my patience, let's say. <laughs> yes. Is there a challenging moment on the journey that stands out that you've observed or participated in? I have had many over my years. It's really hard to just kind of pick one. But the most challenging things I have seen as a teacher is just really getting that consistency between home and school with the strategies that are being used at school, the expectations that are being used at school to then carry over at home and kind of getting that buy-in from parents. Many times parents are just expecting teachers to fix everything for their child. And then, but really in reality, it's the parents that are spending the majority of the time with the kids and really maybe don't understand like how we're their kids to like follow directions and just having that follow through and consistency is so, so important with these kids. So that's pretty much, you know, one of the biggest struggles that I have seen. Another one is maybe like just being so focused on all the things their kids are not able to do and comparing them to typical kids constantly instead of focusing on the strengths that their kids do have and what they are able to do and try to just focus on continuing to, you know, improve on what they already have strengths in and just continue to move forward and celebrating all the little successes that their kids are having is is just really hard for a lot of parents. And it's hard to see, you know, them struggling and just try focusing a lot on a lot of the negative instead of the positives. That's a great point. Have you found any strategies that help to bring the parents or help them get more involved? How do you navigate that break in the chain? You know, you have the school has to be aligned with the therapist, has to be aligned with the parents for the mm-hmm. child to get the most consistent work in what they're working on, right? How do you make that work? How do you get the parents involved when they're looking, when it's they're acting like somebody else is going to fix my child and then we'll have mm-hmm. dinner? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, some parents seek out the teachers and put, oh, I see you're able to get them to do this at school. How can I get them to do that at home too? And or they get really excited when they see that their child can do something that they weren't able to do previously. And they'll ask, oh, how did you do this? And I'll either show them during a parent-teacher conference or we'll meet sometime before or after school and I can show them oftentimes ask a parent, would you like me to make you this? Or a parent will sometimes email me, you know, I want to make a visual schedule for my child at home. And I say, great, that's great. You know, let me give me a list of the things that you would want on your schedule. And I'll find pictures for them and make them and laminate them. I laminate everything. I have Velcro. I'm constantly doing that, writing social stories for something. If a parent tells me, oh, we're going to be moving to a different house. How do I prepare my child for that? And I'll, I can say, well, I can write you a social story for that will help with that. Or if they're wanting to teach their kids the sequencing to how to wash their hands, I can give them the pictures of the steps and teach them how to use that. If a parent is willing, I'm definitely willing to take the time, you know, before and after school to explain the strategies, explain some how to shape some behaviors, how to use positive reinforcement strategies, and those kind of things, how to use positive praise instead of constantly saying, no, don't do this, don't do that. 
don't, don't, don't to a kid, it's like, well, what do you want them to do? And what does that look like? A lot of parents don't realize that kids demonstrate behaviors that we may feel are not appropriate, but they've never been taught what the appropriate behavior looks like. Maybe they'll play with toys and be throwing their toys and then they get yelled at, don't throw your toys or that, you know, or you're not going to be allowed to play with that anymore. But have they been shown the proper way to play with those specific toys? And then so they need the opportunity to be taught a specific behavior, it modeled for them. They need time to practice it and show you that they can demonstrate that behavior before it becomes an expectation for them to do that behavior consistently. And so a lot of parents maybe don't realize that or just how to use those visual supports because a lot of kids with autism and some other you know special needs are visual learners. So just telling them things, they're not going to, to be able to make those connections unless they see it. Do you ever deal with parents kind of being in denial about their oh, yeah. child's kind of situation? Yes, if you will? I have had, you know, parents. Yes, I have had parents that have kids with like Down syndrome or other kind of cognitive impairments. And all they want to know is when will my child be put in regular ed classes? When are they going to catch up to their peers? Wow. And unfortunately, the reality is they probably won't ever catch up because the higher you go up in grade, the more the expectations increase, the academics increase, the amount of work and how long you have to sit there and focus on a task increases with grade level. So just getting a parent to kind of not focus on when is my child going to be, be the same as their peers or catch up is a very difficult conversation to have. It's hard because they just think, Especially when, when I taught K-1 for 13 years, at that young age, parents still think, oh, there's time, they're going to catch up. You know, if they just work hard enough, they'll get it, you know. And that is the case with some, but, but if they have a severe cognitive impairment or, you know, a lower IQ, then chances are that's not going to happen to the level that they are hoping for. And sometimes the doctor is pushing the delay, delay, in their ear though, at the same time, because I had that experience. A lot of people I've interviewed have had that experience. It seems to be a trend that the doctor's kind of pushing more of the delay rather than getting into diagnosis. And so if they're holding on to that and then, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a difficult situation, but nothing sounds more lonely to me than a child who does have special needs being pushed to be something that they aren't or can't get to and feeling like they're not, you know, pleasing their parents. I mean, that must be the loneliest, saddest place to be, you know? Right, right. And that's why they, you know, they definitely need a lot of positive praise and encouragement for all the things that they do are able to do. But I do, as a teacher, I really do have high expectations for my kids, and I expect them to be able to be independent, you know, transition from activity to activity to activity. So then my job is not to just say, oh, they're not able to do that. My job is to figure out how do I get them to be able to do that successfully? How much support do they need? And then find out what will happen. Do they just need a visual picture? 
hey, we're going to go line up. So they do need to be shown a picture of line up or use sign language at the, you know, at the same time as giving them that um, verbal prompt. Do they need a visual schedule to go take, hey, go check your schedule, take off the card and then practice, you know, okay, where do I go next? Or do they need a timer? Do they need a countdown? Hey, we're going to be cleaning up in five minutes and going to recess, you know, and then that countdown that do they just, does that all they need is a little prep time to get ready to before the transition. So it's not about if they can, it's a matter of how they can. And so all the kids have the same expectations, but it may look different for each of the different kids, if that makes sense. It's not really the expectation that changes. It's just the how they get there and how long it takes. Like some might get it right away and some might just take a little longer Mm -hmm. to get there, but that's what I'm always working toward. And another thing I find is that parents, especially of the ones of the little ones, like kinder and first grade, they just go ahead and do everything for their kid all the time Mm -hmm. because it's easier, Mm -hmm. it's faster. They don't think their kid can do it or is capable of doing it. They don't have the time to fight Mm -hmm. with them to do it or to or know how to get them to do it. So it just ends up being something that they just do. That's a great point. Go ahead. I had one dad whose daughter had Down syndrome, but like our expectation was that she carried her own backpack. She was more than capable of carrying her own backpack. That was the expectation. But dad would constantly carry it for her or he would hand us her backpack to carry for her and I would just be like that's not my backpack that's her backpack she needs to carry that and he would just set it on the ground and leave when he was dropping her off for school in the morning so it's just that follow through and that understanding that you know this is important for your child to have that independence and they feel good about themselves once they realize they can do something on their own and they don't have to be dependent on somebody else I've had so many parents excited. Oh, my! when we go to the store, my son used to just run away all the time. And now they stay, you know, right by me or right by the cart. Or if I, if they start to go off and I'll tell them to stop, they'll stop and come back. Or, or the kids that are allowed to just kind of leave the table during mealtimes and just eat whenever and come over and take a bite and then leave or walk around while they're eating. Well, in school, no, they need to be sitting while, we, while they're eating and stay sitting the whole time. If they get up, then they're done. So just those kind of things, you know, more social norms or what would be expected for a typical kid is what we would want to try to get as far as a special needs kid as well. That's great. That's a great point to Naked Parent Nation. Let your child handle the task. Give Give them them the opportunity to show that they can do things. You know, don't just be so quick to anticipate everything they're going to need. Some parents who they're like, well, my child doesn't talk yet. And I noticed that all they have to do is point or, oh, you want your milk? Oh, you want your milk? Oh, here you go. And it's like, well, they didn't even really have to do anything to get it. Or they're just constantly so in tuned with their child that they just know what they want automatically. And they aren't being expected to ask for it or request it before getting it. And then there's not, they're never going to feel the need to talk if that is, if that's the case. Yeah, that's a great point. Any big aha stand out for you along the way that you'd like to share? There's this particular student that I had who had very high functioning autism, very smart kid. 
and kind of whine and just wanted to play all the time while he was at school and never wanted to do any work. And I had his mom message me that she was very upset that he would come home from school crying and mad at himself saying I'm stupid, my brain doesn't work or just being really upset. And I explained to her the situation. I said, well, he's upset because, you know, he'll see his friends get to go play, but he hasn't completed the tasks yet. Like, you know, if we're using a token system, he would need to earn like three tokens before getting to go play. Everyone else in the class did their work and completed the three tasks. So they got to go play. And he was crying because he didn't want to write his name on his paper for, you know, 45 minutes or something like that. And I said, you know, my job is to make sure he learns as much as he can while he's at school, not to just make sure he's happy and let him play all day or lay on the floor and not do anything. I'm not that type of teacher that if if a kid is just laying on the floor and refusing to get up and do something, I'll just let that go. It's like, no, you know, you'll all help them get up and go where they need to go, you know, and help them do that. And then his mom admitted that, yes, she, you know, tends to do everything for him because it's easier, because it was faster. And I knew he was a child that once he got reevaluated for his three-year eval, that he was no longer going to qualify to be in that level of a service of a classroom, like a level C or self-contained classroom. And by the end of kindergarten in my class, he did go into a regular first grade class the next year and just needed some like visual supports and some different supports in that respect. So it's just the aha moment would be that it is okay. I got seeing how well he did after mom was on board with not just doing everything for him and allowing him to like whine and cry when he wasn't getting his way or getting what he wanted to do is that it's okay if your child is upset and doesn't like the expectation that is, you know, the demand or whatever the expectation is, that's okay. But it is so important to stick to that and just keep working on it. And eventually, you know, they'll get used to that, but it has to be consistent. And they have to know that, oh, if I whine or cry, I'm not going to get out of doing this and get what I want, you know. So I feel like it's easier to stick to those things with maybe a typical kid. But then if a parent has a child with a special need, they start to feel guilty. They just really want to their child to be happy. So they give in too quickly and really don't push those expectations to make sure they, they see it through and make sure it actually happens. So. It sounds like you have great perspective on parents and special needs mm-hmm. children identified so many things that you just spoke yeah. about. And as- even though I don't personally have kids with special needs, I've been in, in homes working with those kids and seeing the struggles that the parents have and trying to help those parents when they do get down or start to have that negative talk or, oh, they're never going to be able to do this or, oh, they're never going to, or why can't they do that? This, you know, when are they going to learn to talk and just those kind of things. So I just try to remind them, just focus on what they're doing now, keep, you know, working on moving them forward and they'll get there eventually. Yeah. And speaking of parents, and you've talked about a couple, but what difficulties are you seeing? Are there any difficulties like that you see a lot of parents having or some that stand out that you can share? I've mentioned a couple things. One is the comparing their child to typical kids all the time and just being too hyper-focused on that. Another one is, I believe we talked about it, 
before the podcast started where a lot of parents are saying, you know, that they're noticing that their child is having some issues that don't seem typical or they're not talking yet and they're already three or four or they're having some severe behavior issues and they don't know what to do. You know, they, they're they just saying that they're on a waiting list to get in, to see a doctor and be evaluated. It could be months before they get a diagnosis. And of course, you have to have a diagnosis to get the services to come from DDT. And that takes a while to get set up. With COVID, a lot of services were put on hold for a year months, you know, so their child didn't have speech or OT. So I just think, you know, a lot of parents need to know that they should not wait, you know, for those services or to be to get a diagnosis or for those services to start, they really need to start as soon as possible with some sort of intervention. Even if it's just model, well, like modeling language, Constantly, there is a method, incidental teaching is when you take what the child is already doing and talk about it. Um, If they're taking a bath, then you're like, oh, you're taking a bath and you're using just a lot of vocabulary words. Oh, you're get your wet or here, let's pour the water. We're pouring and just using, show me pouring. And then you give them a chance, you know, you're doing that exchange if they're playing with you know, a car, oh, let's push the car, we're going to make it go. Okay, tell me go, and then you're modeling go, and then you make the car go, and then you can work on stop and go, or, you know, fast and slow, let's push the car fast, and then we're going to go really fast, and then, oh, let's push the car slow, and then show them, give them that model and that visual of what those words look like. When I respond to parents who are saying their kids aren't talking yet and they're saying you need to start them with the PECS, which is the picture exchange communication system. They need to, you pretty much show the picture of the item of things. You take pictures around your house of all the things they'd be requesting the most often. What do they use more? Their sippy cup, their favorite food, snack items, their bed, you know, their toothbrush, you know, and different things or whatever, their favorite toys, and you start teaching them and you just start one at a time. So you would start with their favorite toy. It's like there, they can see it, but it's not in their reach. And then you have the picture of that toy. They need to learn how to hand you that picture to request it. And then you give them the toy. And every time and you let them play with it for a little bit, okay, by turn, and then you take it back and you do it again. This is pretty much ABA therapy is. It's just constant repetition on skills and practicing and teaching the appropriate response. And then you keep building on that. So once you have them being able to hand you a picture of just one item, then you want to have like a choice board with several pictures, four to six pictures of things, have it up in the same place all the time in their reach and get them, if you know that they're wanting a snack or their favorite toy, then you lead them over to the picture and help them pull it off and hand it to you. And then you're modeling toy, and then you give it to them. And then you put it back, and then you keep doing that. So eventually, once they're able to say toy or name what it is that they want, then you can fade the pictures out. The pictures are just a way for you to 
help show them how to initiate language. You can't pull words out of a child's mouth, but you can take them over. If they're not giving the picture, take their hand, help them pick up the picture and put it into your hand. Once they realize, oh, I'm supposed to give this picture to get something. You know what I'm saying? And then just having, making sure those items are out of reach and they can't just go and access it anytime they want or else they're not going to feel that need to ask for an initiate language. And then just the constant modeling, like I said, like if you're getting them dressed in the morning, oh, let's put on your shirt. Your shirt is red. And, you know, just using and really exaggerating those words that you're wanting them to learn as they're doing it. And the more they hear it, then eventually they're just going to start picking it up and using it. Another thing you can do is some sign language is very, very helpful because kids can pick up sign language much faster than they can pick up language, verbal language. You teach them to use help and more and hungry or eat and just those basic signs, making sure that they're using those. That's another way they can initiate language. So there's just, you know, steps and like breaking everything down into really, really, really small steps and just building on all of those steps is definitely where I would start with that. And then the a third thing that you would start with is the um, nonverbal imitation because language is reciprocal, right? If a child is on a particular object or item or not even paying attention to anybody around them, they're not going to be able to pick up language because they're not like tuning into what someone else is saying. And so they're not going to do it. So you work on, hey, do this or do this, or you do some gross motor movements. And then if they don't do it, then you take their hands and you help them clap right after you. Yay, good job. And you give them a reinforcer, verbal praise, whatever for that. And you work on that. And that way they start to pay attention. Oh, when you do it, I can copy that and get that, you know, that way, then when you start modeling language, they start wanting to copy what you're saying as well and start using that language. But then it's also a matter of knowing too, once you know they can say something, like once they can say cracker, then you have to make sure you don't give them the cracker until they say it, you know, every time. Don't just give in if they're refusing to ask for it. Don't just be like, oh, here you go. Here's a cracker even though you didn't ask for it. They have to know it. They have to do something to get that. That's awesome. You just gave so much value and uh, suggestions. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you for all of that. Yeah, yeah, no problem. But, you know, and it's just the same with, like, I had mentioned before with changing the behaviors. Like, try not to get stuck on what the actual behavior is that they're doing that's not appropriate, but find out what you want that new the behavior to look like. And that's what you teach them to do and model it for them. Okay, this is how we sit at the table and eat. You know, we stay in our seat and let show me how you stay in your seat. Let me see. We're going to count to 10 and you can stay in your seat for 10 seconds while I count to 10. Then you reward them. Good job staying in your seat while I counted to 10. And then you can increase the time or you can set a timer. You can start off with 30 seconds or a minute. Let me see how you can stay in your seat for one minute and give them a reward after they stay in their seat for one minute, you know, and those kind of things. And I always have this thing like nothing is for free. 
Like they have to earn anything they get because kids are always asking for something to watch video, watch TV, play a game, play on an iPad. They're always wanting something, right? Oh, okay. First, oh, we, I use first then statements all the time. First do this, then you get that. And some kids need the visual. We have first then boards where they have first and they see the picture of what they're going to have to do. Then they get whatever they requested. And so don't just give anything to them for them not having to earn it in some way. You can just, you know, whatever you're working on, if you're working on, you know, body parts up, touch your nose. Like if they're asking for uh, chips, oh, you know, chips, please, or whatever. Oh, let me see you touch your nose. Oh, okay, good job. You know, and then you give them chips. You know, some people might think, well, that's crazy that they have to do something just to get chips, but it's, it's just makes it so they know they're just always having to learn new things or how to do things and keep them engaged and those kind of things. So if there's yeah, no expectations made on them, they're just not going to feel the need to do anything. Yes, that's great. So Naked Parent Nation, you're not losing your mind. You're modeling for your child and you're yeah. really, really helping them in their development. Another thing I can stress is a lot of adults or people who are dealing with really young kids use too many words when they're talking. Too many, you are words, too many, too many words, just in oh, general, like over explaining or just using too many words when they're giving a direction. Okay. It needs to be very simple. One to two words is all you need to say. You know, sit down, stand up, come here clean up, put in, brush teeth, those kind of things. And that's a great point. And they won't, if you're using too many words, they're just it's just gonna go right over their head. They're gonna tune you out and not even focus on what you're saying. Great. Thank you for that. Is there a special moment on your journey in this industry that you can think of to share? Yes. Um, the most recent one is a few years ago, I was contacted by a sibling of a boy I worked with like 20 years ago who had autism. I, I did ABA with therapy with him like over 20 years ago. He's like 26 now or 25 now. Um, but I started with him when he was like probably three. And now his sister ended up getting married and having a child. And around 13 to 15 months old, they noticed that he started demonstrating signs of being on the spectrum, just like her brother. And her mom actually noticed it as well and said, you know, you probably should give Jennifer a call and see if she can, you know, work with him as well. So she contacted me, asked me if I was still working with kids with autism. And I had said, well, not in necessarily in that capacity, but I do have kids in my classroom that have autism all the time. So I went and I met him. He was 18 months old. He was nonverbal, having meltdowns all the time, tantrums, all that. And I started working with him. He wasn't diagnosed yet. She wasn't able to get a diagnosis till probably two and a half, almost three by the time he got the diagnosis. But he now, we just had his preschool kinder transition meeting and he's five. He's going to be in kindergarten in in August. I attend all of his IEP meetings for preschool because parents didn't really, you know, know what to ask for or what the school should be providing. So I offered and I actually taught in the same district where he went to school. So I went to the IEP meetings because I knew what questions to ask or, you know, he should be getting. And then he no longer qualifies for 
any special education services or OT, no speech, everything. He um, ended up testing in the average range for everything. So he is going to be starting kindergarten like any other kid in the fall, and they're not anticipating really any issues. The only thing he may need are maybe some like, you know, noise canceling headphones for loud because there's going to be a lot more kids in the classrooms or times when he's in PE or music class or in the cafeteria when it's loud that he might need some because he's sensitive to loud noises. But that's about it. So that was just an amazing, amazing, amazing thing. And something that the parents were just so, so happy about. But he, you know, has worked very hard. He, you know, I started doing all of the things that I've mentioned to you, helping the parents. This is how you need to be responding to him when he does this. Or this is how you need to present this to him. This is how you model this. And I would just work with them on every step. It was like, you know, you always just keep adding a little bit more, a little bit more to everything they can do. So like he got to the point where he could ask for help consistently. I need help. I need help. I need help. And then it was like, well, what do you need help with? And it was just like a blank stare. He couldn't tell what he needed help with. So then that's the next thing you work on. You model, help me open this, please. Or help me put this in or help me take this off. Or, you know what I mean? So you model that and then you make them say it after you say it. And then eventually... If it's modeled every single time that they need help with something, eventually they learn, oh, I need to say what I need help with. That's awesome. So, yeah, breaking it down like into the smallest, smallest step. A lot of times parents just see the big picture. Well, I want them to speak in full sentences. So that's what they expect to come out of their child is a full sentence. You know what I mean? It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. They might just make an approximation of a word and not say the whole word. Maybe they can't produce certain sounds, but you still know what they're saying because it's consistent. They can say it, you know, the same way consistently. If they're trying to say drink and maybe it's just dick every time because they can't put a D and an R together, can't make the K sound or din, din, and that's what they call a drink, then you accept that as an appropriate request for a drink. So there's just those parents that I, or people, or even other teachers that try to model, I want a drink, please. Well, if they can't say just the one word, you don't want to expect them to say, I want a drink, please. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just taking it and accepting where they are at the time, letting them know they're doing well, this is great, good job, ask for a drink, you know, and just keeping modeling it the way, you know, it was supposed to be said. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing the story. I think there's a lot of parents out there that would uh, do just about anything to have noise canceling headphones be the mm-hmm. only thing that their child or no. a lot of them say, well, my child can't sleep at night. Okay. Well, like weighted blankets are really good for calming and helping kids, you know, yes. sleep. Um, just other sensory things like um, letting them spin things or giving, if they're constantly all over the place, you can give them heavy items to carry or have them wear a weighted backpack, just like a regular backpack with some things that are heavier in there. So, you know, that usually helps a lot. You've given us like a ton of great suggestions. One kind of closing question, we're interested in what excites you about the road ahead. Is there anything that's kind of on your radar that excites you that you can share? 
Yes. Since I have spent over 20 years actually, you know, working with kids directly, I've had the experience of working with speech therapists, occupational therapists, physical therapists. So I do have a wide range of knowledge of, you know, what kind of things are out there to provide for kids to help them handle, you know, sensory issues or behavior. I've had a lot of different trainings in different behaviors, strategies. I would really love to just go in and work with parents. Whenever a parent says, oh, I have this child, either they were just diagnosed or they're noticing that they just have this gut feeling that something just isn't right and they're feeling like they should be talking by now or they should be doing this or they're having some specific behavior issue that they don't know how to fix or correct to then be able to reach out to me and I would be like consulting and just come to their house or if it's not a situation where I could come to their house, just do a video chat like we're doing on, and just be able to explain the strategies or provide them with those visual supports, visual schedules, social stories, the picture exchange communication you know, system pictures and how to do that and how to break things down into steps and how to model language, how to model appropriate behavior, all those things is just what I would love to do in the future. Um, Because I know I am just one person, but if I can help somehow get parents to also know the same strategies and the same things that I know, I feel like a lot more kids could be helped in the future at the same time. And obviously start earlier than possibly three or later, because some a lot of these ish, things that children are struggling with start as early as 12 months or 18 months or two years. And the earlier that they start with interventions or getting things worked on, the more likely they are to have better success in the future on like being productive, being independent, being just more like a typical child. Well, you sound like the absolute perfect person to help people with. I mean, you just, you nailed everything that like my kids are working on probably in the house right now and the techniques mm-hmm. they're using. And I appreciate you sharing that. If you want that. me to help you uh, change any of their behaviors, let me know. <laughs> uh, I will. And so how can listeners, uh, how can Naked Parent Nation get a hold of you? What's the best way to get a hold of you? Right now, I don't have any kind of website set up yet. That's going to be my thing in the future is to get a website with a lot of resources on there. But for right now, yes, um, I have. it is J-E-N for Jennifer Sped, as in special ed. So J-E-N-S-P-E-D, the number six, at live.com. You can just send me an email. And then from there, we can go on with doing like a virtual conference or a phone, talking over the phone, and you can just give me more of a background on, you know, the age of your child, what you're wanting to happen, what kind of things are you looking for? Are you just needing some visuals to help your child? What it is, are you just completely lost and don't know where to go? You know, and and I can definitely, hopefully give you those strategies or at least set you along in the right direction of what you should be doing. I'm sure you can. We'll put the uh, we'll put the way you can contact Jennifer in the show notes. And Jennifer, thank you so much for being with us. And we love also, you. Um, can I just mention the um, 
the Facebook parent support. There's a um, autism family support group on Facebook has a lot of parents. There are also some you know individuals that have autism themselves that will comment or go on and talk about their experiences. But there's a lot of people with a lot of variety of knowledge in different areas on kids with autism and how to help them. And then there's also Southwest Autism Research Center, SARC, it's called as well, if you need some more information. Well, feel free to send me anything you want put in the show notes for our listeners. And thank you so much for being with us today. You've just been a wealth of knowledge and we're grateful that you shared your time with us and your expertise. Sure, I can talk about this stuff forever. I just That's awesome. love That's talking awesome. about it. I could just time. go on and on forever. <laughs> thank you so much, Jennifer. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. This concludes our show for today. And I'd like to personally thank you for spending the time with us on a topic near and dear to our hearts. If you'd like to be part of the Naked Parent Nation and help us reach those parents that are struggling and overwhelmed, there's no better way to help than by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes. iTunes highlights the shows based on these metrics, and the more the show gets highlighted, the more opportunities people will have to be introduced to the show where they can hear that message of hope or that tip that can change everything. So follow the link in our show notes And we hope to have you back here tomorrow where we'll do it again. From the team here at the Naked Parent Podcast, we wish you the life you've always dreamed of and then some. So long.